Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. This episode, we're going to focus on domestic violence, or sometimes called intimate partner violence. My guest is an expert in the field and will offer some insightful thoughts and even some hopeful observations. But if this is a topic which you find upsetting, please consider this trigger warning. Domestic violence, or intimate partner violence, has been decreasing over the last decade. Some of this success is attributed to the Violence Against Women Act. The Violence Against Women Act, or sometimes called VAWA, was drafted by then-Senator Joe Biden and signed into law by President Bill Clinton in 1994, not that long ago. The act established the Office of Violence on Women within the Department of Justice. At long last, there was a central federal authority with resources and a central mission to stop this violent but silent epidemic. So we have the Violence Against Women Act and some success in bending the curve of violence. However, that doesn't mean that the issue is gone and we can move on, it's done, we close the door. Far from it. Here are some data. I'll try not to overwhelm you with statistics, but this is frankly just too important to gloss over the magnitude. So here here goes, here comes some numbers. According to the CDC, on average, nearly 20 people per minute are abused by an intimate partner. That equates to about 10 million people a year, mostly women. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 calls to domestic violence hotlines. Women ages 18 to 24 are most commonly the victims of domestic violence. 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner. 94% of the victims of these murder-suicides are female. 1 in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence, or IPV, each year. Each year. It's estimated that only about half of domestic violence cases are reported to authorities. One in five women in college will experience domestic violence, or what is sometimes called dating violence. The reference to dating violence, just like date rape, somehow makes it sound less serious. If it happened on a date, then she must have known him. She was probably leading him on, right? Maybe they got in a fight. Dating violence. There's a lot of implicit code in that innocuous word. We should think about that. Activists warn that the true number of victims in college may be much higher than reports indicate because violence reported by young women in college is often discounted. They're young. They're inexperienced. They're in a relationship, so it's probably just a fight. She's being dramatic. It was a date. Again, let's think about these things. 
While there is some good news that overall we have seen the domestic violence curve bend, it appears that there might be some difficulty ahead. The Trump administration has indicated that it plans cuts to the Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA. This is the act that was so critical in codifying the foundation of many of our IPV reduction policies and the funding which is so critical for domestic violence initiatives. Cuts to VAWA could portend rough waters ahead for advocates fighting domestic violence. Intimate partner violence is still very much a problem, and I spoke with my guest, who has nearly 20 years of experience working on this issue, about the most pressing issues around IPV. Joining me today is Kirsten Stewart. She is the director of the Washington, D.C. office for the national nonprofit Futures Without Violence. Welcome to Women Transcend, Kirsten. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I have the feeling that domestic violence or interpersonal violence has sort of fallen off the radar for a lot of people. I think there's kind of a misconception that it's either been solved or it's not a problem now? What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really great question. And I think there's two sides to the answer. One is we do need to remember that domestic violence still exists and that it's still very serious. So even this day, one in four women, according to the CDC, experience domestic or what we now call intimate partner violence. And that's the downside. We still have a serious problem that we need to deal with. The upside is domestic violence is down significantly since the passage of the Violence Against Women Act in 1994. So we as advocates certainly want to raise awareness and bring attention to the issue, but also want to recognize that change has happened, and that's really important to note as well. So yeah, so there's some good news, but it's it's not all good news, right? It's it's kind of mixed. It is. And I think the important thing as we as we're getting more sophisticated in terms of understanding the issue, having access to good data, is that we're seeing progress with some groups of uh, women and men, but we're not seeing the same progress across all groups. And that's been a real important discovery. For instance, We know young people experience the highest rate of domestic and and sexual violence as well. So those 16 to 24-year-olds are still experiencing violence. February, as you may know, it's uh, Dating Violence Awareness Month. So this is also a time where we try to raise awareness, bring attention to the fact that our young people still are experiencing a lot of violence, and we need to redouble our efforts to reach them. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you pointed that out because sometimes we categorize domestic violence into two sort of distinct groups. There's adults in partnerships where violence happens, and then there's kids and violence. uh, I don't know. It seems to be categorized differently somehow, maybe not as severe or not, I don't know, maybe not as important. I think your observation is right. I think there is that perception, but I think it's really important that we challenge that perception. As I said, young people experience really high rates of violence. And importantly, by reaching young people, I say we kind of get a twofer. 
because we help address violence that our young people may be experiencing. Frequently, sexual violence is closely related to the, the physical and emotional violence we see in dating relationships. And so we need to help those young people who are experiencing it now. And importantly, by helping young people ideally prevent the violence in the first place, but even if we recognize it early and respond, we also prevent future violence in adulthood. And so it, we think it's really important to, to double down on those efforts uh, for young people. I, I share a uh, saying that former Vice President Biden often said to us advocates, which is, you don't just mow the lawn once, right? You don't just mow the lawn, yeah. grass is cut and everything's fine. So we need to keep at this effort. Yes. And I love that for many reasons, one of which is that I love Joe Biden, but that is very aptly put. Thank you for that. So an important avenue to take in preventing domestic violence then is involving boys and men in the conversation early. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. We need to acknowledge that, I mean, the vast majority of perpetrators of domestic violence are men. At the same time, most men are not perpetrators of domestic violence. And so we talk a lot about trying to invite men to the conversation, not just simply indict them. A lot of men want to do the right thing, but they don't always know what that is. So a lot of our work is really first you know, encouraging men and boys to be a part of the conversation, to see promoting healthy, respectful relationships as, the, as their issue as well. Um, they also benefit from it as well. And giving men tools to speak up to see it as their place to speak up when they see, you know, violent behavior or even just, you know, verbally or emotionally degrading behavior. We recognize it's a lot to ask an individual man, particularly a, a younger man or boy to stand up to his peers. So we also say it's not, we try not to put it in the hands of just, you know, one young boy or one young man to, to speak up himself. But how do we create the culture? How do we create the norms that say, this is just how we do things here? And we also really reach out to the adults and say, really challenge them to take on the issue of teaching younger men and boys and, and girls and women as well. So it's not just the boys, but to really um, take leadership in saying to boys, you know, this is our expectation to ideally role model good behavior themselves, um, but to embrace their role as, say, a coach or a father or an uncle or a teacher and, and be proactive in speaking out about how you treat people in relationships. Yeah. Now, I know that some good news is that we're seeing domestic violence rates for some falling. But when you talk about normative change and cultural change, especially when we have a president now in office whose jocularity includes really abusive statements about women, which is excused as boys will be boys, it's really countering the strong, this powerful message that it's the responsibility of boys and men to be involved in fighting violence, domestic violence and violence against women in general. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I think we've all been deeply concerned about the, the words of our now president about violence against women and the, the, as you said, the jocularity, the excusing the behavior, the calling it locker room talk. It's not. I mean, what he described as sexual assault, pure and simple. And you know, look up the definition yeah. on the Department of Justice website. You know, what he describes is, is the very definition of sexual assault. And we need to be 
clear and forthright that that's not acceptable. We sadly have heard stories in schools. You know, we, we hear anecdotal stories. I haven't seen systematic data saying this, that, you know, you now have more children, particularly younger boys, saying, oh, it's okay for me to grab girls in inappropriate places because, you know, that's acceptable now. I think what's made us happy, though, and I do think sort of marks progress, is that there have been a lot of men who have spoken out, who have said no, you know, I, and including professional athletes who say, I've been in locker rooms my entire life. This is not how I behave. This is not how my teammates behave. And I don't think it's an okay way to behave. So, yeah, that was quite a, a pleasant uh, surprise to hear from ple- uh, professional athletes in response to those, you know, wildly inappropriate statements by the, the current president uh, before he was the president. To hear professional athletes come out and say, I've, I've been in a lot of locker rooms and we never talk like that. So in terms of, of fighting the, the, the narrative that this is normal behavior and the normalization of that kind of subjectification of women, um, that, that was a little tiny ray of success maybe or hope, I thought. I agree. I think the more we encourage people to speak out, to say, this is what's accepted in my community, this is what's accepted in my country in a good way, and then to call out when they see language or behavior that's not acceptable, I think that all contributes to to creating norms. And again, particularly that our young people see and experience. Uh Uh-huh. Can you share with us what some of the warning signs might be if any of our listeners are parents? What are some warning signs that they might look for in their children that they are potentially might be in a, a violent relationship, girl or boy? women or men? Absolutely. It's a real, that's a really important uh, question. So I'm glad you asked it. I think the best way to help a friend or a family member who may be in an abusive relationship is to first talk to them about it, but in a private and quiet place. And it's not to say you need to leave him, he's hurting you, but it really is to say I'm available if something's going wrong, if you're worried, if you're scared. It's okay to say, I see these signs either in your behavior or in how your partner, boyfriend, girlfriend treats you. You know, that concerns me. I I think you're, you know, I think you're a great person and I don't think they always treat you that way. Please know that I'm always here if you want to talk about it. And sometimes that's really hard, particularly for parents or siblings when, you know, they go, yeah, I know she's in a bad relationship or I know he's in a bad relationship and I'm going to tell her right now that she needs to leave it this instant. And then when she doesn't leave it, I've, you know, I've had it, I've done everything I can. I think we're all, you know, sympathetic to uh, that reaction, particularly, you know, when you see someone you love and care about doing what you think um, uh, are making bad choices. At the same time, what we know about domestic violence um, is it, it is very hard. Most victims do leave uh, and do try to leave. It just doesn't always happen right away. And, and it's about them coming to terms with, with what's happening in the relationship and seeing it for themselves. It's rare that you know someone else demanding that you leave is going to help, but someone yeah. making themselves available. In terms of your specific question about what are some of the warning signs that a parent might see, if you see a young person, you know, for instance, very afraid if they don't get back to their boyfriend or girlfriend right away. If it's uh, a person yeah. who's really outgoing and gregarious, all of a sudden 
or over a fairly short period of time, they become pretty quiet and withdrawn. They stop doing family activities. They stop sharing secrets or friendships. Maybe they change how they dress. And, and it can be a little hard, particularly if you're a parent of a teenager, because you know, we know teenagers are texting a lot, right? So I'll have parents ask, well, how many texts exactly is too many texts? And I can't say there's the magic number, but you're often the best observer of your child. And so if, if you're texting because you guys are watching The Bachelor together, and you, know, you might be texting 100 times, but that's clearly a happy sharing and experience event. If you're texting because he's demanding to know where you are every minute of the day, you know, yeah. that's when you start to get worried. Probably the way that she reacts or he, but more more likely she is when, oh, oh my gosh, I have to, I missed that text. I better get back to him right away kind of thing. Right. It's, it's when you start to see fear, withdrawal, certainly if someone's hiding physical injuries. Yeah. You'll start to see more anxiety, nervousness, sometimes, you know, grades, someone who is normally a good student becomes kind of a bad student. You know, those are the points at which you step in and say, you know, I see these things. I'm really concerned. Um, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh -huh. And then kind of let them lead the conversation. One of the other things that we've really um, learned and started working on is the relationship between domestic violence and other forms of violence. Yeah. We often talk about domestic violence as part of a continuum. It's often tied to things that may happen in childhood. For instance, we know if someone has experienced abuse in their childhood or witnessed domestic violence, there's certainly a much greater risk of being both a victim or perpetrator of that violence. What we're also seeing, and, and we're still trying to understand it, so I don't want to say we have all the answers figured out, but we're also starting to see a relationship between those who use you know, violent, what we call violent extremists, um, so people who may do mass violence against strangers. Uh, so, for instance, the the man who walked into the Macy's outside Seattle and you know killed people from the to the gentleman who was in Orlando, who yeah, you know, the tragic killing there uh, to some of these terrorist attacks. What we often see when you start to get you know look back into their histories is many of these men have perpetrated domestic violence. And their wives, again, or girlfriends, often had been experiencing violence um, for years before uh, they committed these mass atrocities. I wouldn't say mass uh -huh. atrocities, but the, the mass violence. Yeah. And, you know, part of what I think we're trying to understand is, is it, is it exposure to violence and trauma in childhood or adolescence that contributes both to being a perpetrator of domestic violence and this other form of violence? Or is domestic violence almost a training ground for, uh, and a mindset about how one has, how one expresses power in the world, right? Wow, so, that's fascinating, yeah. So that's one area where we're really starting to uh, look at the research. I know the Institute of Medicine, you know, recently had a convening on taking a more public health approach to violent extremism and, and trying to understand the behavior and the root causes of that behavior, and certainly looking at how gender-based violence may, in some cases, be the the canary in the coal mine for people who may go on to later commit violent extremism. Uh huh. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, just uh, before we close, I think this question we can't talk about domestic violence, interpersonal violence, without me asking the the perennial question: Why doesn't she just leave? 
That absolutely still is the number one question I get. And, and it's something that um, confounds many of us still. What I always ask people, though, to think through is why he still chooses to be violent. Yeah. And, and so I always ask people, you know, let's flip, let's flip the switch. Instead of saying, why doesn't she leave? We say, why does he do this? Or why does she do this, right, in some cases? Now, to get that doesn't always answer the question fully. So we ask people to then think about the choices that a victim of violence might make, particularly if she's a parent, right? Is she going to choose homelessness? You know, can exactly. she afford to live on her own? Uh, uh-huh. is she gonna or live without her, her kids. Yeah. Is she going to pull her children out of school? How is her you know, husband partner, if he's the father of the children, is he going to allow it? Probably not. And the courts are probably not going to let her just take the children either. Yep. And, and there's you know, certainly the economic issues. There's also, you know, the frequent issues that this is someone that you often love and trust or, or know that they may have themselves had a troubled history. So there is certainly those parts that you believe and you want to believe in the best of this person. And so you are inclined to give them more chances uh, or to find excuses for the behavior. And we try to encourage all people and particularly as we talk to young people, that violence in a relationship is never okay. Uh, We also try to draw attention to the, sometimes the harder issues to understand about what is controlling behavior. So I know for instance, when we do lethality assessments, right? We might see somebody who locks the kitchen cabinets and makes her ask his permission to eat or makes her get on the scale each morning in front of him. Yeah, that, that wasn't physical violence. But when I look at that behavior, that to me is, is abuse and is yes. controlling behavior that honestly makes me, in some cases, more afraid um, yeah. for her or her children's uh-huh. safety. So it's also important to understand it's not just a slap or a punch. Yeah. It is this uh-huh. pattern of controlling behavior that we should be looking for. Yeah. Wow powerful information, um, a lot to process. And I thank you so much for your time and the important work that you do and for, for taking a moment to speak with us about this issue. Are, are there any resources available that you would point people to if they either themselves are in a dangerous relationship or they know someone who is in a potentially dangerous relationship? Absolutely. The first and most important resource someone to go to is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And it's 1-800-799-SAFE. And there's also a text uh, function for a a teen dating abuse helpline. So those are two immediate resources I would recommend. Great. We'd always encourage you to come to our website, www.futureswithoutviolence. But for someone in immediate crisis, the hotline is an incredible resource. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Women Transcend. I appreciate your time and all of your great work. Jennifer, thank you. And thank you so much for bringing attention to this important issue. This week's Woman in the Spotlight is Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. You might also know her from her stage name, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga helped raise the issue of rape on college campuses through her work on the documentary, The Hunting Ground. 
She wrote a song for the documentary entitled Till It Happens to You, which she sang at the Oscars after being introduced by Vice President Joe Biden. Lady Gaga revealed that at age 19, she was raped by a professional colleague. Lady Gaga has said of her assault, it's something that changed me forever. For having the courage to reveal something so horrifying and personal in order to hopefully bring awareness to this issue, we would like to highlight Lady Gaga as our woman in the spotlight. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. Be sure to leave a review for us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. This will help raise our profile and make it easier for others to find us as well. If you like a particular episode, it's easy to share through Twitter or Facebook right from your podcast player. A big thanks to the amazing Kirsten Stewart for speaking with me for today's episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound work so we sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. We will be launching a weekly women's issues and advocacy newsletter which will go out by email. If you're interested in getting an update on important topics relevant to women and girls, including legislative action items, please go to our website, www.womentranscend.com and submit your name and email address on our contact sheet and we will be happy to include you in our weekly update. That's all for this episode. 